0: We're glad you could be back with us this evening. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to begin in the Old Testament, book of 2 Samuel, chapter 24. In just a moment, we are delighted to have everybody with us this evening. It's always good to come back and to encourage one another. In a lot of ways, this place is like a refuge. You know, sometimes the world beats us up, and sometimes there's a lot of things going on in our families and our lives, but we come to this place, and we sing these hymns, We pour our hearts out to the Lord, we open his word, and it just seems like everything's okay. God is upon the throne, and that helps us so much. This evening I wanted to just give you a simple little lesson, but but there's a phrase I hope will stay with you. And I hope it will help you as we think about some things we're going to be talking about. We want to talk about relax your hand. That may be an odd phrase you think about. When I first started taking up golf years ago, I had a a guy teaching me some things about golf. When I first held a golf club, I'd almost white-knuckle it. I'd hold it so tight. And one of the things he said is, loosen your grip, relax your hand. And if you've ever taken piano before, sometimes one of the first things a piano teacher will do will be look at the fingering, how you are hitting the keys. And sometimes we need to simply relax our hand. This is a phrase that's going to come from our Bibles. This is something that God says. And he says it to an angel. And it's a fascinating story. And so we're going to walk through the story. And as we do, there's some points of application we're going to look at. But then at the end, we're going to talk about some things that will help us as we think about our journey and our walk with God. It begins in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter 24. And there, King David wanted to take a census. He wanted to number the people. The chapter begins here in verse 1 and verse 2. Now again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and incited David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. The king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Go about now through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and register the people that I may know the number of the people. We're always interested in numbers. I don't know why, but we are. Just about every ball game I've ever attended, at the very end of the game, attendance today was, we take attendance in church. We want to know how many people are here. The number one question I'm asked beyond all questions when I visit a place to go preach is how big is your church? they don't want to know what we're doing they don't want to know how faithful we are they don't want to know anything else but they want to know is how big is your church and just out of pure meanness one day i told a guy three he said only three but then if you were to say well we're about three thousand they say oh that's too big but we love numbers And we're interested in numbers. And here David wanted to know how many people are in the nation. Now there are other times in our Bible when God told the people to take a census. God wanted to know. For instance, in the book of Numbers, in chapter 1, verse 2, this is God speaking. Take a census of all the congregation, the sons of Israel, by their families, By their father's household, according to the number of names, every male, head by head, God said, let's count the people. And there's another occasion in the book of Numbers, near the end of the book. God again says, take a census of all the congregation of the sons of Israel from 20 years old and upward. By their father's household, whoever's able to go out to war in Israel. But on this occasion, God had not authorized this. This came up by David's own mind. And David did not have the permission of God to do this. In fact, when you look at the parallel count in the book of Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1, it says, Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. And so David's right hand man, Joab, is given this job. And he's to travel. It's going to take him nine months to go through the whole nation and count the number of people. And Joab recognizes that this isn't right. Here back in the Samuel account. But Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as there are, while the eyes of my Lord still see. But why does my Lord the king delight in this thing? What do you want to do this for? That's what he's saying. Why do you want to count all the people? Does it matter? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed. Once again, in the number, in the chronicle account. But Joab gave the number of the census of all the people to David. And all Israel were 1,100,000 people who drew the sword. Judah was 470,000 men who drew the sword. Now notice, but he did not number Levi and Benjamin among them. For the king's command was a to Joab. I'm not going to count everybody. I don't think this is a right thing to do. You shouldn't be doing this. But here we go. And so when you look now in your Bible, in the book of 2 Samuel, and we turn down to about verse 12 and 13, in the Chronicle account, if we were to read the very next verse, verse 7, it says, God was displeased with this thing, so he struck Israel. And so reading verse 12 now, here in 2 Samuel 24, God sends the prophet Gad to David. Go speak to David, thus says the Lord, I'm offering you three things, choose for yourself one of them, which I will do to you. So Gad came to David and told him, and said to him, shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days of pestilence in the land? Now consider and see and answer, and I shall return to him who sent me. Can you imagine the choices there? Famine, war, or pestilence? Imagine saying, Would you rather have a heart attack or cancer? Would you rather somebody cut off your toes or your fingers? What's the third option? None of these sound good. And so the timetable there seven years, three months, three days. And David. Can't decide. David won't decide. Can you imagine making that choice? And so God made the choice for them. And then in verse 15, the Bible says, So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from morning until the appointed time, and 70,000 men of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. 70,000. Within three days. And so we come to verse 16. Verse 16 is our passage for tonight. And verse 16. When the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who destroyed the people, It is enough. Now relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arita the Jebusite relax your hand that's a great phrase other translations use this the esv simply says the idea of stay your hand or withdraw your hand and what we see is just the hand of the angel could kill 70,000 people and god said that's enough relax your hand now let's talk about three lessons from the application from the text and then we'll talk about some lessons for us number one The consequences of our sin often touches other people. I don't think all 70,000 people were involved in this census. I think David sent Joab, and Joab went throughout the nation for nine months, and he did this. But there was a lot of innocent people that died. And that is so true of, of all sins. Sometimes we may commit the sin, but we hurt other people in the regard to this. The 70,000 that died didn't do the counting. It was David who ordered this. And so it is with sin. Oftentimes innocent people get hurt. We remind ourselves back in the book of Joshua, chapter seven. After they had gone to Jericho and destroyed it, that they were to take none of, the, none of the spoil back. But a man by the name Achan did. He stole some gold and the mantle, hid him in his tent. And when it was discovered that it was there, here came the consequences. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zera, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold. His sons, his daughters, I don't think his daughters were fighting that war. His sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him. And they were brought them to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned him with fire after they had stoned him with stones. One man's sin hurt other people. And I think about a mom and dad today how they may just get the lazy bone and say, you know what, we're we're just not going to go to services this weekend. We're just going to kind of sleep in. And that becomes a habit. And how by doing that, they hurt a young child by learning about Jesus. They may keep a child from learning the faith that he ought to know. And so the sin of others can affect several people with that. Now, if you got the little outline sheet, I want you to fill this out. This is something, if you haven't gone through this, you ought to cut this out and tape this in your Bible. To understand that wrong is wrong. Number one, wrong is wrong even if you do it just one time. Just one time. How many times do you think Eve had to eat that forbidden fruit? You think she took a big old bite, and God said, uh-uh, shouldn't do that. Took bite number two. Now, honey, you better stop. Bite number three said, okay, you're out of here. One time makes it wrong. One time. And we need to realize that. We need to press it upon our kids to understand that wrong is wrong, even if you only do it one time. That, again, is something that David didn't understand. Wrong is wrong even if you do not get caught. Well, no one saw me doing it. Well, number one, God did, and it's still wrong. Wrong is wrong if no one is hurt. You know, around here in Indiana, we love basketball, and we like to play pickup games of basketball. And when you kind of get everybody on their teams and start playing basketball, there's a little unknown rule that was called no blood, no foul. In other words, if I just bump you, we're not going to stop the game and call foul like they may in college or high school or pro. But, but we'll only stop the game if I bump you so hard that you're bleeding. No blood, no foul. No one's hurt, it's okay. No, it's not okay. Wrong is wrong, even if no one got hurt. Wrong is wrong, even if others think it's okay. See, Satan's always going to provide a crowd. He's always going to provide people that be your cheerleaders to say, "This is OK, and you ought to do this, but that doesn't make it right with what God says. Wrong is wrong even if it's legal. We're going to be opening up some new doors down here one of these days, because there's going to be people say, "You know what? It's not against the law to smoke marijuana. More and more countries are legalized, or more and more states are legalizing it. Before long it's going to be illegal all over the whole country. I can smoke marijuana, it's not against the law. Does that make it right? And that's the answer. Thank you. That is the answer. Did y'all get that? Maybe some more should have said that. No, it's not right, okay? Wrong is wrong even if others are doing worse. Well, I know somebody did all this and this and this and this. We can go through our Bible with the same thing. I mean, you think about... Judas betraying Jesus. All David did was count people. What's the big deal about counting people? Judas betrayed the Messiah. That seems worse. In David's own life, he will commit adultery, have somebody murdered, cover the thing up. That seems a whole lot worse than simply counting people. Wrong is wrong, even if other people are doing worse. Secondly, what this context teaches us is that God is serious about sin. The numbering of people may not seem like a big deal, but it was to God. It was so serious, God says, here's your choices. You're going to have a war, you're going to have famine, or you're going to have pestilence. One of the three are coming. That's how God saw about that. And so... The, the, the problem with counting the people was it would, it would elevate and swell David's head. Look how big we are. Look how many soldiers we have. We can fight anybody. And how did he forget about him and Goliath? It wasn't the rock that killed Goliath. It was God that killed Goliath. God has always led the armies. God has always won the battles. It didn't matter how many troops were in your side, God would be the one. David seemed to forget that. And again, a couple passages remind us of this. In Psalms chapter 20, some boast in chariots and others in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Or in the book of Proverbs, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to God. We forget that sometimes, don't we? And so God is serious about sin, and we need to be serious about sin. And then thirdly, there is a limit to punishment. Relax your hands simply means to stop it. It's enough. The goal of punishment is to correct behavior. It's to change hearts. It's not to crush and destroy somebody. This is true in a home, this is true in the church, and this is true with God. You know, the idea of the eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. Somebody says when we follow that model in life, it leaves both parties blind and toothless. And that's not a good place to be. And so the Lord told the angel to relax your hand. Now, what I want to do with the rest of our time is talk about you and I and some other lessons that we can learn from this. If you've got your Bible, look with me in the book of Psalms, chapter 46 and verse 10. Psalms 46 and verse 10, where there the psalmist, and just a great statement says, cease striving and know that I am the Lord. Relax your hand, we could say. And so here's some things that comes to my mind. Relax your heart and allow me to take over your burdens. The burden of health issues. The burden of wondering whether we're going to have enough money to end our lives with. the, the, The burden of where our families are. The burdens of all these things that come upon us. And how sometimes that wears us out and and is heavy upon us. And, And just as the Lord told the angel to relax your hand, can't you hear him telling us, relax your heart. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. And this is very similar to what the Lord had in mind here. Matthew 11 verse 28 says "Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my load is light. Sometimes I think we try to carry it all. The, the American spirit, I can do this. I don't need anybody's help. And what happens is, we become weary. we become burdened by these things, and the Lord tells us relax relax your heart another passage on this one would be in the book of first peter first peter chapter 5 and verse 7 where peter says casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you now notice what he says in that passage he doesn't say cast the big stuff you got some big stuff going in your life give that to the lord now the little things you work that out yourself no cast all your anxiety. You got those little things that run through your mind late at night and keeps you awake. I just can't sleep because I'm worried. That's what anxiety is. That's what anxious is in the Bible. It means to be worried. And can you not hear the Lord says, open up your hand, relax your heart, let me take over these things. Here's another thought I had. Relax your fears for I am near. Relax your fears, for I am near. In your Bible, turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 14. A great little phrase that's used here. It's really helpful for us. Matthew 14 is the occasion when the disciples were in the boat and Jesus was walking on water. And it begins in verse 22 of Matthew 14. And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And after he sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already made strata away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind were contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's about three or four or five in the morning. It's dark. Boat's going up and down because of the waves. There's all kind of wind going about. He came to them, walking on the sea. Verse 26, and the disciples saw him walking on the sea. They became frightened, saying, it is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. Now verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take courage, it is I. It's me. It's me. There are times in your life, particularly as a parent, your child has to go through some things, and you just can't be there. Remember one of our kids had surgery when they were little. We had that little teddy bear right beside him there. We walked them right up to the surgery door. But that's as far as we could go. But God is there. There are times when they're taking their driving tests, just them and the instructor. And you want to be in the back seat and just say, now remember, 10 and 2. Remember, don't look at that radio. Remember, keep your eyes on the road. But you can't do that. And all through life, there are just different things in life where you can't be there. They have to be there by themselves. There's times where you have to be there by yourself, and no one else can be there, but it is I. Do not be afraid. What a great statement that is. Over in Mark's account, Mark chapter 4, Mark talks about another occasion on that same sea. Another storm happened oftentimes in the spring. And in Mark chapter 4... And begin verse 37 and verse 38. It says, There arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. And he himself was in the stern asleep on the cushion. They woke him up and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now stop there. Put that in modern language. We're dying. Have you ever felt like you were going to die? We're going to die. Don't you care? Down in verse 41, after Jesus calms the storm, he calms them. And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? It is I. Do not be afraid. I read a while back that the Wright brothers were not the first people to invent the airplane. Another man had invented an airplane about the year before, but it stayed in his barn. He was afraid to test it. He was afraid to fly. But when he heard what the Wright brothers did, he brought his plane out, and he became the second person to ever fly in a plane. Fear will do that to us. So Psalms 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Hebrews chapter 13, look at verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Again, just a great reminder for us. He says, let your life be free from the love of money, being content with whatever you have. For he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. And so you've got things in your life and you're just fearful of. Can't you see the Lord just saying, relax? relax your fears i am here god has not forgotten us and then thirdly relax from beating yourself up with the guilt and allow god to forgive you and again sometimes we we get overwhelmed by the guilt of sin and we get overwhelmed by the things that we've done that's wrong and we think maybe god cannot forgive me maybe i've done so much wrong that god will just turn his back on me but we need to see what the scriptures teach In the book of Psalms, chapter 103, a passage that Jason used this morning, i want to go back and and again look at this as as it emphasizes this concept of how God forgives us. And, and, And what it says is as far as the east is from the west, that's how God has cleansed us or removed our sins. Now, have you ever thought about that of all the directions God used? If God used north from south, you got this little globe here. Here's planet Earth. And you go north, pretty soon you're going south. And then you're going north again. But when you think about this planet, if you go east, and somebody's going to say, Brother Shouse, you're not pointing east. I don't know. When I'm inside the building, I have no, direct, I have no idea of directions. But we're going to say that's east. You're going east. You're still going east. You're still going east. You're still going east. And when, and when you look at that planet, you're going west, still going west, always going west. And what he says is, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I removed your sins. Relax from beating yourself up. God wants to forgive you. God's grace is available to us. And how important that is. Finally, there's a hymn I want you to think about. You might pull it out of the songbook if you want to. It's hymn number 62. Take my hand, precious Lord. You see... Until we relax our hand, we're like this. And this is how some people walk through life. God cheated me. God owes me. I'm angry with God. God has not been fair. But until we relax our hand, we cannot allow the hand of God to go into our hand. Hymn number 62 When the way groweth drear, precious Lord, linger near. When my life is almost gone, hear my cry, hear my call, hold my hand lest I fall. When the shadows appear and night draweth near and the day is past and gone, at the river I stand, guide my feet, hold my hand, take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. I am weak, I am worn, thus the storm through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. Relax your hand. Isn't that an interesting phrase? And maybe that would help us. Maybe if you just kind of memorize that little phrase. Sometimes our feelings and our hearts are all knotted up. You know, it's kind of like the old Christmas tree lights. They're not like this today. But back in the olden days, you pull out that box and your Christmas tree lights just look like that. What What a knot that was. And sometimes that's how we feel. We're all knotted up on the inside. And what we need to do is relax. Let God have some of our problems. Let God have all of your anxiety. Trust God. What a great statement. Taken from a bad part of David's life. When David made a mistake... And David sinned against God. And God sent calamity upon the nation. But after a time, God said, it is enough. Relax your hand. There would be no more. And hopefully this will give us some things to think about. We're coming into a holiday tomorrow. Many of you have the day off. Lots of things planned. Lots of things to go about doing. And sometimes those days get changed. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes things happen that we don't expect to happen. Relax your hand. And give it to God. I think that would help a lot of us as we journey through life. This evening, if you're not a Christian, you need to become one by giving your heart to God. Maybe a simple lesson like this will remind us. Maybe I need to let God be God. As Jason said this morning, let him be the higher ground. Sometimes we try to take over his job and and dictate what needs to be done. God, you need to do this in my life. And God, you need to do this. And what we need to do is relax and let God be God. And let us be the followers that he wants us to be. If we can be of any help to you, won't you come as we stand, as we sing.